Welcome to a special recording for the Commonwealth Club of California. The Commonwealth Club of California is the longest and oldest running public affairs forum in the country. Since COVID-19, we have had to pause all of our live audience programming and now producing all of our programs virtually and for free. If you're willing and able, please support the work of the Commonwealth Club by visiting commonwealthclub.org online. I'm Michelle Miao, the host of the Michelle Miao Show here for the Commonwealth Club. The program is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. I'm also a member of the Board of Governors for the Commonwealth Club of California. Our program tonight is a special conversation around the San Francisco Bay Area COVID-19 Relief Fund in which a coalition of leaders and nonprofit organizations have come together to provide relief for our most vulnerable and marginalized communities. And so I'm proud to introduce to you some incredible people who are part of our community, such as Claire Farley, who is with the Office of Transgender Initiatives, Anjali Rimi with Parivar Bay Area, Akira Jackson of Taja's Coalition, Nicole Santa Maria from Ala Ala Para Translatinas, and Jack Beck of Turnout. Welcome everyone to the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I'm used to seeing you know most of you uh, at the Commonwealth Club of California, and and again soon we will. I know we will. But this is also special. And I'm so excited and so proud of our community for being a part of this special relief fund when we need it most. And so, you know, the impact of the virus goes beyond the virus itself. I mean, when you think of COVID-19, a lot of times you talk about like what the physical impact is on, on, a, human, on a human being, but many lives have been impacted in many ways. And so in what ways did COVID-19 impact our LGBTQ community? I'll start with Claire. Well, thank you so much for having us. And, you know, this coalition really came about um, through the hard work of so many of our LGBT organizations that work across the Bay Area. Um, We really saw that there was a need to come together and really have direct action to support our seniors through, um, you know, our most vulnerable uh, population that are stuck at home and we're not able to do essentials like grocery shopping and access to prescriptions. So we're able to work across those partnerships to make sure folks have those resources. And then as we expanded, we really saw um, both the health inequities, the lack of data collection, just the poverty that we already knew existed within our community um, and really looking at you know, so many folks are not plugged in to general resources, whether that's um, trans immigrants that don't have access to CalFresh, to uh, LGBT seniors that maybe are not connected to friends or family. Um, So this coalition really came together to say, you know, we're going to stand up for our neighbors and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that our communities are fed, housed, and supported. Um, And I'm really impressed with just the Um, amount of work the team has been able to do, but that it's been so centered community first, um, not about, um, you know, uh, doing something for someone else, but about being a part of something bigger as a community. And I think that's really what San Francisco is all about. Remy, uh, you know, your thoughts 
also on the question uh, as being a leader with Parivar, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area and, and, and making sure that all voices, you know, come together for this. All folks, you know, are represented um, because I think you know, a, a lot of times when we talk about our community, uh, sometimes, you know, voices and individuals get left out. How has it impacted uh, our, you know, so, some communities that might not make it in major media news stories? Yes, thank you again having, for having us, Michelle. I think it only intensified and magnified the marginalization that happens, and particularly to people of color and particularly to trans, GNC, and intersex folks. So it, that's, the silver lining is it brought us together in a way, in a boundaryless world, Zoom or however, for us to come together. So the, the coalition is a seed from that vision that we can come together and build together and center our efforts around those that are left within the margins and be led by those that are usually on the margins. So that is how the coalition has been able to stay effective and successful. I think COVID as a whole has created a lot more disparity for the LGBTQ community at large. Um, you know, there is many instances where from an operation standpoint, whether it's free food or fund allocation, the LGBTQ community has been a namesake and has been getting the bits and pieces. Um, and our funding has been cut and asked to go to reg general resources, uh, which could be a part of our intersection. For example, API folks are asked to go to a particular center that supports API folks, but that doesn't mean that trans API folks feel comfortable and can access those. Same with trans Latinx folks. So I think there's been that diametrically opposite uh, dynamics at play, but I think at, at large, it has also brought us back together, whether it's this coalition or the artist coalition or the various things that happen and this right here, we're coming together to show the greater world that if there's one community that can get past it, that's us. Anyone from our, our panel would like to add to that? Jack? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, it's been interesting from our perspective because at Turnout, we work mostly with volunteers. So we support queer nonprofits and queer events volunteers so we're not doing a lot of direct client service work um, even during normal times um, so from our perspective we've really had a front row seat to seeing how people in the queer community have really stepped up to meet this challenge um, and it has been so inspiring to see people coming from all parts of the queer community to really step up and support those who are most vulnerable um, and uh, we have seen people not only volunteering, but, you know, financial support was really slow moving at the beginning. So a lot of people who were volunteering to don't to, uh, to deliver food and deliver medicine, they also stepped up to pay for those resources themselves out of their own pockets. Um, so it's really been inspiring to see the queer community step up again after a long history of stepping up to create nonprofits to care for our most vulnerable when we're hit in an epidemic or, you know, hit through systemic injustice. Uh, so it's been really inspiring to see that happen with COVID-19 as well. 
Nicole and Akira, I would love to also hear uh, from you specifically how COVID-19 has impacted our communities and some, some views, you know, uh, some stories or something specific that you could share within your own you know, work and the community you serve, uh, how COVID-19 has impacted the LGBTQI community. Uh, we'll start with Nicole. Okay, uh, well, I'm gonna echo what uh, my other colleagues and partners have been said. But one of the things that I, be, I really believe that it's very important to mention that we are trying to focus in not othering our communities because it is very important to perceive and being uh, with our feet in the ground that we are also that community, that we are part of the community that uh, we are serving. So in that sense, the way that the, for example, as a Latinx a member that I belong and I'm in now that I have the opportunity to serve in this position that I am now, it is also the story, my own story as well, reflecting in or mirroring the life experience of my other uh, trans folks, trans sisters, inter intersex communities. So undocumented community in our in a, right now in this in this process in COVID-19 has been very challenging for us. So that's a very huge impact because there are many different ways that people cannot access to the resources that we are trying to serve. So, for example, and also, and it is a, it is a for me COVID-19. One of the things that the impact has brought to us it is a denounce of our marginalization, a civilization of the, in, on the situations on underserved our communities we are involved, but also it's an announce. It's an announce that how we can come together and how we can uh, position ourselves and bring, as you mentioned before, the voices of us, you know? For me, uh, right now, the, my pronouns are not she, her, hers anymore. For me, my pronouns are we, our, ours. So in that sense, I, I would like to, to highlight this, this new opportunity and this announce or this denounce as well of the COVID-19 because we are seeing people who are not Latinx community who are not having access to, for example, the funds to um, rent, for example, because they don't have documents. And many of our grants and many of our funds are very uh, restricted in, for example, W9s and not everybody in our community, especially in undocumented Latinx community, it is, it is having a paper to fill a W9 form. So continue the challenging of being all the intersectionalities or all the identities that we embrace as, as community, it is important for me to highlight and to mention that this is a challenge that, oof, the since and stone, what we have continued seeing where Black and, Latin, and Latina trans women were leading this, this um, you know, uh, this effort, this community effort, and we are still the Black and Latinx community is still in the margins and is still navigating these challenges and these issues. So, yeah, has been has been based in other voices, but those other voices, we are the mirror of them. So we are those voices that we are trying to uplift it, you know, to 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 come together really and try to create 
a better response of all the challenges that life can bring us and brought us in this opportunity. Akira. Um, just to, um, um, I just, I think, I think the panels for um, introducing their perspective and as well as um, bringing this coalition together. Um, for, for me, it's, um, it's COVID-19 is just a reset button. Um, oftentimes, especially in research, um, we prioritize like the most, um, the least likely uh, marginalized population first. And at this point, like we have trans leadership, we have trans women that are leader leading, we have trans men that are leading, and we're more visible right now. Um, I, I believe this is like a call to action for us that has the, the capacity and has the skill sets um, and has a connection with the community that is a part of the community to step up and um, advocate for our community. Um, you know, um, I've been hearing this thing about COVID-19 is like the new HIV. Um, a lot of HIV services are, um, are being, um, are, um, uh, have, has been tailored to um, include um, uh, the, on, um, include like the onset of um, COVID-19 um, and um, subsequent issues that we're facing and, and co which continues to marginalize us um, inside of our research um, program. So I'm just, at this point, it's like, this is an opportunity that we have to, to step up and to um, be these leaders and advocate for our community. And, um, you know, now we don't have to have a framework that was um, adapted from some other community that we fight and talk about that's not representation of us. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, and these are the, the types of conversations and points that we could bring up, right, that are specific to our community, you know, especially when it comes to, like, benefits, for example. Uh, I think a lot of leaders from federal leaders to state leaders will talk a big, a big talk in terms of, oh, we're, we're going to do this, like, we're, we're, we're providing rent moratoriums, we're, which is great. We, all these benefits are wonderful to help, you know, many people who are impacted by COVID-19, um, you know, things like uh, unemployment, uh, things like, um, you know, the stimulus, uh, yeah, the stimulus amount that was given to families. But I also see that for many of us in the LGBTQ community, there are the cracks in these types of uh, opportunities that are available, and they might not always be available and might not always benefit everyone in the LGBTQ community. So when you have a city like San Francisco that steps up in, in multiple ways of ensuring that, you know, our communities are not being left out or, or are not recipients of these benefits that people think everyone is getting, um, I'd love to touch on that because I think that that's the importance of why we're creating you know, these uh, collective opportunities to provide funds. And so we'll start with Claire, you know, because yeah, I brought up San Francisco and um, I brought up, you know, that, mm -hmm. that sometimes leaders can do a little more and we have to for our communities. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point and really speaks to what, you know, the panel has been sharing. Um, you know, in San Francisco, we invest more than any other city into our trans and LGBT programs. We're leading the effort in LGBT equality, but we always have more work to do. 
And, you know, this uh, coalition really came about because we saw that gap. You know, we saw our LGBT seniors not being served. We saw uh, many folks on the fringe that weren't accessing existing public services or benefits. Um, and so we really looked at how can we have a regional approach, both in terms of advocacy on the state level, because most of the programs and organizations are not funded um, outside of these city dollars or these general fund grants. And so they don't have access to foundations or other funding that so many nonprofits um, are relying on. And so we really looked at calling um, on the governor to support um, uh, housing services, um, employment, feed, uh, feeding efforts, um, because the majority of the programs were, you know, come down, have a community meal, watch a video, hang out with friends. Um, but all those were closed. Um, and so when we think about how can we keep people sheltered and spit in, in place when they're living in an SRO and don't have access to a place to refrigerate their food, um, or they've been evicted and they're living on the streets, um, all these things were already happening. You know, we know trans folks are you know, three times more likely than the general population to be unemployed, six times for trans women of color, 10 times more likely to be homeless in San Francisco. And so these were all the efforts we were working to fight. And once COVID happened, it was like, okay, like, let's work on this general need and we'll come back to you. And that's what happened during the last recession. And I was in the middle of economic development work and I saw the impact of that recession. And so I think what everyone has shared is that this is the reality that folks experience every day. And we know that it's just going to double in terms of both the impact of those of us that are working um, in the organizations and how those nonprofits are impacted. Um, and so using our voices to lift up that we have to have equity in the response, um, I think is so key because a one size fits all doesn't work for everyone. Um, and so that's where these innovative approaches from, you know, our partnership with Open House and Mona Me to deliver groceries and do virtual chats with seniors to Jack's efforts to make sure that we get groceries delivered by volunteers um, to Akira's work, you know, of making sure that we get housing subsidies to trans folks that are potentially going to be evicted to Remy's efforts around, okay, this needs to be a regional approach. We need to look at what are we doing as a Bay Area, not just reliant on what can San Francisco do. Um, and then, you know, obviously to Nicole's work with Ella to say, okay, CalFresh and all these other food benefit programs, the, um, you know, the, you know, potential federal funds, those are not going to Latinx communities. So how are we making sure that when money does come in, whether it's through our coalition or through other efforts, how are we centering um, communities of color and Latinx folks to make sure that those resources go where they're needed? Um, so I know that was a long answer, but I feel like it's so much, um, like what everyone said, it's so much of the heart of why we have to be vocal about it, because if we're not vocal about it, then we'll be back in the situation you know, in a year or so from now with, um, you know, much more work ahead of us.
anyone from the panel, please jump in and uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that. I mean, I, I think it's it's so important for people to understand that it's not just another relief fund, you know, um, that's put out there. It's because there are, there are so many relief funds, but that you know every single opportunity where you're supporting a, a member of your community, the LGBTQI community, especially a fund like this, um, the importance of it. Because even when you look at it from the perspective of being able to receive some parts of the benefits that are offered out there for some folks, you know, let's face it. I mean, lots of our lives have been uprooted to the point where, um, you know, even a week's worth of support isn't going to, isn't going to help us out two months from now, six months from now. So we'd love to also hear your thoughts and, uh, you know, what you have to say about making sure that, um, you know, the support is beyond just what's offered out there. So anyone jump in, Remy? Um, I think that's, there is something to be recognized about the bountiful of courage and movement and organizing that kind of springs from the San Francisco world and into the rest of the country and the rest of the world. But one of the key reasons that, you know, Parivar and we kind of jumped into this is because we are outside of that. We are based in Oakland. And, you know, the, the usual perception is that the SFA area is covered by San Francisco. But one of my, my primary reasons to really spearhead this is to get that inspiration from San Francisco and kind of have other city agencies support us, support us as the LGBT community and pri- not prioritize us, if not at least tag us to be getting the funds and the resources, which have traditionally been devoid of any of that. So I think that that has to be recognized. And the other aspect of what we are going through and what the need for such a scale is because, as Nicole was touching on it, we, as the South Asian trans GNCI queer community, I can, I'm Fortunate to say that majority of the community is pretty okay. You know, they've been able to hang on to their jobs. And again, I'm not generalizing, but I'm saying the need that we saw was in the greater community. So we kind of marched towards the greater good of the greatest number of people. And, you know, the data as we look, and I keep using the word data, but I shouldn't generalize it that way. But we've seen all all the submissions and the comments. We've seen how difficult people have been getting true and still staying resilient and still saying, yeah, I've lost my job, but still I'm taking care of my kids and things like that. So I think one thing really, really to highlight and recognize is this, this coalition came together to address not only the economic poverty that people are getting pushed into, but also the emotional poverty to say and to show that you're not alone and God knows that we are already so isolated you know, and this takes it to a different level. But this coalition also had that spirit to say, you're not ethereally isolated. We are, here we are working together and trying to get what we can in, in balancing the reality of the world <laughs> where everybody is trying to go for the same part of gold to say, actually, this is what we got and this is what we're going to share, you know, and we might not be filling our stomachs fully, but at least we can share and have a few morsels. Anyone on the panel 
if you'd like to add to to that and just uh really stressing the importance of you know how it's just it's just different it's not like and i think to nicole's point the you have to look at it from an intersectional point of view and when you when you when you when you just look at it from the economics right and you're like okay if you fall below this amount of money then you're eligible to get this fund or you're eligible to get that but is there so many unique things that I think the LGBTQI community, uh, you know, is impacted by? That's what these types of relief funds do is they kind of see beyond like, what is your, your numbers threshold? Like you, what's your income level or uh, do you have health insurance or do you not, or do you have a job or do you not like those types of things? And I think those are the points that um, I think you're all making and it's it, and it's also you're the folks who are on the ground who are talking to our community members and it's not just something that you're hearing but that you're experiencing that you're seeing well i, I want to um, chime in on that um especially like having a conversation with nicole like i talk we talk and um just like la- like this year like last year we we just launched our trans home and um you know, when I hear like rumors or things that like, you know, people are thinking about like deficits and, um, you know, I'm um, trying to cut back stuff. Um, I just, I, I often wonder like, like if this is something that is, you know, could be like cut, like, is this something that's in jeopardy? Like how, how is the city or how are grantors or how are funders looking at that? And it, just judging from the fact that we are already marginalized. And this is like a big feat, like, like literally we just, it was like a, a big, big victory for us. So um, my thing is that I'm, I'm worried about those things as well as that um, because of COVID and the fact that everyone comes along on different parts of, of their journey, rather if they're like receiving um, 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 social security benefits or rather if they're like depending on these organizations to open and stay open, um, so they can actually get like a $50 stipend or a $50 gift certificate to go get some groceries or whatever. So these are things that I'm worried about as well as like growing. Um, we talk a lot about like expansion, but um, to me, it's just like growth and expansion are like two different things. Like, are we growing organically as a community? Are we coming together and we have these resources? Are we sharing these resources? Um, and um, it just, at, at this point, it just, it, makes me um, wonder like are we do we have to like we, we're fighting to just um, maintain what we've what we already have um, and it's not a lot of growth anyone else before we move on to the next question all right um, someone had mentioned this earlier and uh, I, I want to have this discussion I mean the nonprofit community of the uh, LGBTQ movement is just so vital right like uh, for some of us, it's it's home, it's survival, it's the next meal or a, a place to live. And I think that, you know, the last big economic impact, a lot of our nonprofits have had to merge um, or you, and, and merge in terms of like finding even a space to work out of and sharing like office space or uh, again, like, you know, merge in terms of, of providing the resources or services like together um, just because, you know, the grants were, were drying up. How has COVID-19 impacted our nonprofit community, especially the ones who serve um, or have direct services 
and, and serve the most, the most marginalized, you know, I fear, I have a fear for that. And, and I've heard a couple ways, uh, especially the, the organizations who serve our senior community, our trans community. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts or, you know, share what, what's been said or what's been shared with our community of how nonprofits are impacted. Um, Jack. Um, yeah, I think it's a really important question. You know, we started turnout um, out of the recognition of the importance of the queer nonprofit infrastructure. You know, the queer nonprofit infrastructure is what it's what keeps our people alive. Um, and that was true before COVID-19 hit, you know, from folks like, like organizations like Open House that support queer elders that have to sometimes go back into the closet when they go into assisted living if it's not queer friendly, to homeless queer youth, to, you know, trans folks who have been uh, imprisoned like that those are all queer nonprofits that are working on the front lines of those issues um, and COVID-19 presents um, a huge challenge for our organizations um, a lot of the fundraising uh, channels that we have traditionally became impossible almost immediately um, and I know with our organization, within a matter of weeks, like 50% of our revenue just was gone. Um, and we are not alone in that. I know that we're not. Um, so it became an immediate challenge of how do we address this huge need that has suddenly arrived on our doorstep where our queer communities are not necessarily being supported by mainstream institutions, which is, you know, normal. That's the standard while facing this massive reduction in support for our own organizations. Um, and I think in some cases it's been really tragic that some organizations have had to close. Organizations with a long history have faced, um, faced challenges like that. And it's really changing the landscape of our city in a lot of ways. Um, and I, you know, my, my hope is that, you know, I, I know those organizations and I know the people who are behind them and those people are still around. And I know that those people are going to be creating new things and they're going to be, they're rallying already. Um, and you can see new things that didn't exist before COVID that have come up um, that people can build on. But um, the impact of COVID-19 on our nonprofit infrastructure cannot be overstated. It's really been, um, it's really been, and uh, it's been incredible in, <laughs> in, um, in scale. So thank you so much for that, which thing, you know, the, I'm going to ask the question um, a little later, but I think there's also something about the fact that we, we have ourselves, we have our community and we have to rely on to pull everyone together to, to help in this really stressful time. Um, but Nicole, I'd love to hear, you know, from you how Ella Para Trans Latina, the organization, has been impacted by COVID-19. Um, if you could speak a little bit to, or expand even, you know, what, what Jack was talking about, what Turnout has been experiencing. Um, but especially, you know, with Ella, because it's, it's, you, you provide such a specific service. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. The thing is that, for example, I, I echo the words of Jack uh, in the sense of the how the revenues, how challenging it is already the the pandemic impacting our organization and specifically the only trans Latinx led organization in San Francisco and the Bay Area in general is it's 
is really huge, you know, especially because this is the first time that a trans a person, it is a leading this organization. It is, in my case, it is the first time experience as being an ED. I'm an art therapist, so I've been doing therapy my entire uh, professional life. So coming here to this space that had already challenges in, in for example, in the um, related, fund relate, funds related, you know, and now a pandemic, how does impact an organization that it's actually uh, is still under um, a fiscal sponsorship, you know? So, because we don't have the amount that, that we need to have in order to be independent. So our organization, it is a still a, under a fiscal sponsor and we are also struggling to continue see a, the, how we are going to continue providing the services that we have been doing for 26 years, not being Ella, 14 years being as Ella because Ella already it lost the funds when it was a part of a project. So that's very difficult to sustain. And one of the other things that I've been noticing and, and also worries me in this situation that, yeah, it is, it is uh, important to recognize the work that we, have, we are doing and we have been doing, but not romanticize uh, our resiliency in this, in, this, in this time of pandemia because uh, the organizations do the work based in the grants and the funds that we get. And uh, it is very important to think, and it is, that's why I'm saying that this, this pandemic is a denounce, but also it's an announce of new opportunities of some um, needs that we need to talk and put on the table. So we have to talk about undocumented undocument people, people who are uh, in prisons, people who are sex workers, that it, it is very challenging if the organization, for example, like Akira, Tajas Coalition, and Ella para Trans Latina, that we are serving people who are really uh, invisible. So, but if we lost funds and we have these cuttings in our funds that they are already uh, happening so i'm i'm thinking how is going to be uh, this this new challenge the thing that uh, ella para trans latina also joined this this coalition it is because we are all uh, i'm aware of our capacities and i think that joining capacities it is also the thing that it's actually uh, giving results as better as we can do in this in this moment that is a global emergency but also it is coming to to the reality how our organization that that's the denounce how our organizations has been functioning until today and how they can preserve after this pandemic with the grants uh, or the funds cuttings and etc so um, i dream that after covid we can actually not only thrive but flourished after this, you know, because we, uh, at, at least as an intersex, transsexual woman, that it is a, a, a asylum seeker because I don't even have that that the the the, the, the status as other people. So it is not only coming to oh yeah we are a resilient community yes we are and yes yes we are but we need support and we need to come together 
as community, we need also to uplift our voices to the city and all the people who are given the funds because right now it is like a yes, it, these funds are for COVID relief, COVID relief, COVID relief, but what happened with the sustainability of the organizations? So what happened with the people who are doing the work for the community? Uh, who is going to do the job uh, or the work directly to uh, or serve our communities if the programs are closing or they just get unfunded, you know? Mm -hmm. So those are the questions that I'm, that I'm having, and that's something that COVID brought to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about, yeah, uh, you know, uh, how we did things before, how we'll do things, you know, differently now during this pandemic. Um, the coalition strategy, that was something that I thought was such a great idea. I mean, how else are we going to be able to serve as many people as possible in our community and especially, you know, folks who really need it? And, it, and we've been talking for so long in the movement how we need to do a, a, a sincere reprioritization of the voices of who we serve in our community. And so um, if Maybe, Remy, you want to talk about um, the coalition itself, uh, how, how, you, how you get help, how, you know, who it's, it, the, the funds are intended to help, and um, kind of the goals of how many, you know, folks are we hoping to help. And it just sounds like, you know, every single person who goes to the site looking for relief uh, well, at least, you know, ha get a response that it's not, you know, that the experience is not so much based off of like what I was talking about earlier, right? All of these requirements or criteria that um, it, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not it, extremely inclusive of like everyone and not, I'm trying to be very diplomatic about it, but I oftentimes find like, you know, when there are like relief efforts and things, um, then the, you have all these check boxes that you need to cross. That's the stuff that breaks my heart because in a pandemic, it's like, I, I can't, what boxes do I need to check other than I need help? And this relief fund and the coming together of all these coalitions that speak for our, our truly our most vulnerable of our community um, you know, it's just so special. So I'll, I'll start with Remy and then whoever wants to jump in after Remy, please do. I think the coalition was aimed to serve everybody in the LGBTQ community. Uh, we had different, you know, uh, focuses starting with the San Francisco Bay Area and the rest of the Bay Area. Um, California, not Bay Area. We said then, not California, America, not America, the world. And we want to help everybody. And, you know, personally, my vision is this can show, um, and being, you know, one of the new, new novices into the, into leading and organizing with such amazing leaders, I will say that this should give us a good sense of how we can work together. And so the sustainability and the life of this coalition needs to continue. And I fully see it continuing. Hopefully we don't have to call it a COVID coalition, but it's a coalition of the San Francisco Bay Area LGBTQ community that continues. And so we have always operated from that and also kind of laid down our guiding principles where even within our community, we have to emerge beyond cisness, we have to emerge beyond whiteness, and we all recognize that. But when we are all fighting in our little wells, you know, 
in our little pigeonholes, it's impossible to kind of put everybody together and say, okay, in this great grandeur world, these are the folks that need help and it shouldn't matter where those funds are coming from or which organization are they affiliated or considered home communities of. So I think we started with that approach and obviously there's the whole feasibility aspect of getting the funds and raising those funds. And again, each organization, as Nicole said, is also trying to sustain and operate as in besides trying to support the community, right? So we kind of uh, juxtaposed both of those and kind of came up with a with an with kind of a framework to say that we will still prioritize trans GNC I folks and kind of take our prioritization of what funds are available. And so as we started seeing the submissions, every submission is equally important and that's how we've looked at it. Uh, we received over 270 submissions in total, not including all the streams of inputs that Jack, uh, Turnout and Monami and many you know, folks created. Um, and people reached out to Parivar on email, Facebook, and many other places. And then we kind of had to look down deep inside to understand how can we best support those that are in need of funds. So we kind of decided to spread the wealth rather than not um, and support in different rounds and waves. So we, start, we are starting with round one, which is focusing on trans GNCI folks and Really, there is no criteria. We are not looking to verify uh, what their income status is and such. We have a little bit of a stipulation given that most of the funds are coming from the city of San Francisco, which we're very grateful for to kind of verify location and such. But as such, we don't want to go down that path where it is accessibility and awareness, which is one of our other guiding principles, is, is, is lost. And then Another aspect is the individual interest. We have to, I mean, we have to understand that, again, we are, I might want to still say we are in kind of a bubble in San Francisco, but there are folks that are isolated, even in the Bay, and there are folks that don't have any affiliation with any organization, given their own trans journeys, um, or given their, you know, their need to be whoever they are and however they need to be. So our focus has also been individual uh, interest, not necessarily supported to an organization. So I think it's, it's, come, uh, it's come together and it's culminated into a mechanism that we are able to support and drive. Uh, would, I, would, I, would we wanna see it thrive and it be able to stay, stay as a well-oiled machine where we have an, a request, a tons of requests that come to turn out and Jack says, hey, Remy, let's allocate all this money and then we want to keep going. We would love to do that. But, you know, the reason it's kind of been a little lagged um, and some of our partners um, probably would appreciate knowing this is because we had to figure out, you know, what do, who do we prioritize? How do we do this? And how do we like share the little that we got? And when I say little, I am actually calling on folks that could give more outside of the LGBT community um, and I'll let Jack talk more about it, especially the corporate uh, part, corporate responsibilities that are lingering out there. 
I think that I just got cued. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to echo what Remy said. I think this this coalition approach has been really incredible and it's created a lot of opportunities that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. Uh, there's more than 20 organizations that are a part of this coalition and each of them has deep roots in the community, um, has a way to interface with folks who are most vulnerable and to channel those needs to the coalition. And then we can pool our resources share our respective expertise and resources to make sure that people get what they need um, through the coalition. Um, So that's really been an incredible thing to be a part of. Um, Regarding the fundraising, um, yeah, there we've, you know, as Remy mentioned, uh, there's some been some incredible support from the city of San Francisco, but those are not the only folks that we're getting requests from. So we've been doing our best to raise additional funds so that we can support folks in the East Bay, um, other folks who are outside of San Francisco. And we've been doing that in a couple of different ways. Um, One, we've been reaching out to our corporate partners. You know, a lot of the nonprofits in the coalition have worked with different um, companies at different times uh, to see if they are able to provide any support Um, and we have heard back and we've gotten some support from a couple of different companies and and corporate um, ERG groups, which has been really interesting. A lot of companies have been hit really hard by this too. You know, companies that are either in hiring freezes or layoffs and the traditional funds that they have available to support nonprofits are locked up. So that's, that's its own challenge. Um, But we also created a COVID-19 registry for LGBTQ folks that are um, submitting needs through the needs form for the coalition. And so we're pulling out individual items that people need um, and putting them into a registry, almost like a wedding registry. So if someone needs uh, hormone replacement therapy or if they need clean needles or if they need shoes or a feeding tube, you know, people can go to the registry, see how much that costs, and then make a donation to the registry, and we can support that as well. Um, And that's been a really effective way to engage folks who want to support this cause. Um, We've actually had all of the hormone replacement therapy that's been requested has been funded, which is so nice to be able to say. Um, All of the clean needles that were requested have been supported or have been funded, and I think all of the medical equipment as well. And people are really, I mean, some of the requests that we've been getting, um, you know, people are on the edge, you know, reusing uh, feeding to bags that are meant to be used for one day for weeks on end because they can't afford what they need to stay healthy. Um, So there is really a huge need. And, um, you know, the more folks can support, the better. Anyone want to add to that? I, I love I love the registry, and I, I can't wait to end the program. I can't believe I'm saying that, but just because I want to go and uh, support the fund. That is just, I, I think, talk about making sure that, you know, some of the direct services and support stay alive. What a great mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, kind of echo what Jack and Remy shared, is that, you know, as we come into Pride, um, you know, we'll be co-hosting Pride at Home kickoff on June 5th and really calling on um, the community, you know, with the city leadership um, in partnership with Pride and the coalition um, and so many other partners to really give back. And so, you know, really join a lot of other voices that are calling on organizations and corporate organizations that typically spend 
you know, thousands of dollars um, or more into floats or parades to really look at how are you giving back um, to LGBT organizations or COVID relief efforts. Um, because we know people are giving in big amounts um, and, you know, our um, food bank needs support, our uh, Meals on Wheels program. Um, and so there's so many efforts that people can get involved with and give. And so I think during June, it's a perfect time to say, you know, I'm going to commit, you know, to supporting LGBT relief because, you know, we need support with mental health to make sure that our young folks who don't have connection to their LGBT peers get support. Uh, we need to make sure that our feeding programs continue and get folks gift cards and resources like Grimmy and Nicole talked about. And we need to make sure to keep our folks housed and, you know, the work that Akira and Trans Home are doing are great. And, you know, that money comes from state funding and we know that there's state funding cuts. So we hope that we can keep those resources, but we need to make sure that we continue to grow um, and, you know, call on folks to really give back, go to the website. Um, we've been fortunate enough, um, San Francisco's uh, Give to SF Fund is supporting 75K in food relief. Um, Remy and Jack uh, have raised an additional 15 to 20,000 through foundations. Akira is supporting housing relief. So we're doing the work. But if you look at the millions and millions of dollars that are going um, to other relief efforts, we really need people to step up. Great point. Great point. And the website is Bay Area LGBTQ COVID Relief.com. And we'll make sure to uh, put, post that up, you know, especially on our page when we have this podcast up at the Commonwealth Club organization um, and when we share it, you know, with our distribution partners, for sure. As we're winding down on time, and it's a question for all of you, uh, and that is, you know, I heard a couple of you say it, and this is, it's not just about you know this pandemic or just about this specific time that this could be an absolute reset for us and you know our future in ensuring that we create sustainable models to support uh, every one of us in the LGBTQ community. And so, would love to hear your final thoughts on as we you know look to the future of whatever that might be, the LGBTQI future, and we look at our community as a whole, how we all get through, you know, this pandemic. Um, but like, what do you envision, right? Like we, we are able to help each other. We're, we're all able to pitch in and help one another be healthy. But what do you envision in a, a future for the LGBTQ community once this is over? Um, you know, and I put that in air quotes because I, I know that this whole thing is going to change our lives, you know, forever. I I'll start. Yeah, go ahead, Akira. Yeah. Um, okay, so like in previous, like previous, like pandemics and epidemics, and um, it just seems like a, a LGBTQI population has been like ostracized in a way that um, it also, in some ways, um, have like demonized us. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, um, we talk about like how, um, like our, like the institutions, like our government, our providers, um, often, um, when they create programs or, um, create like policies that it 
sort of like further pushes us in those margins. I'm wondering if, you know, us having, since we do have this visibility, if we can start with the framework of looking at the most marginalized populations first and then building out from there. So that's just my own thing. I'm just like really curious. I'm just trying to see who's going to step up and do it. Um, of course, we are the ones that are leading, stepping up and doing this work. But in terms of like, um, like c- certain types of city departments or it just like government departments um, that have, you know, um, us in there um, as well as or uh, as well as they are allies. Um, how are they advocating for us? And, um, you know, our, and, and then also what is the impact of the, their voices to these people that are saying that they want to include us? So. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, I've always wanted to say, well, how about we start with not marginalizing anyone? Well, how about, you know, in the next pandemic, like all of us as a cushion or safety or a home or, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to be in a position where we've got to raise funds for, you know, um, gift cards and things like that. Um, I love that. Uh, Nicole. Um, I'm gonna bring bring the uh, Claire's uh, comment at the beginning that it was equity. I think that that it is very important to consider or to have very present in our minds, but more than in our minds, in our hearts. You know, uh, where the conscious come from. You know, in the general population, in the general community. You know, it is not only. Um, consider LGBTQI community an issue just for the LGBTQI community. It's, it's the general population that also I would like to see an awaken, you know, uh, people more aware and more compassion and to be able to start healing journeys in our communities because um, it is for me important to be aware that one of the things that have been happening as a result of COVID and the pandemic, and even way beyond before COVID, it is the need of our of our communities to heal from the eternal violence against our against us against our communities. So, how this pandemic can bring up the humanity in all of us and see the holistic ways and the holistic responses that we can come together and, and see this, hor- this common horizons where, uh, as Akira was saying, you know, that uh, the most marginalized communities can come to, can we all together can lift them up or can lift the, us up in order to prevent violence, prevent uh, all these issues that are included and are more visible with this pandemic and this COVID. So it is a huge journey, you know, and it is a, a huge challenge. But I think that uh, we are, the people who are here and many people who are going to see the, this this show uh, are sharing this this horizon are sharing this dream that we can come to more equity societies where all lives are included you know where where all words can fit in one world and we can and we can come together not to have like a in an internal responses of crisis you know because in our communities we are 
always in a crisis. So, so how we can how we can change that reality that put us in in major risks and in the in outside of the 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 view of everybody because we are always continue otherizing people you know to othering people and like uh, oh yeah i'm not there i'm not that and even in our own community you know that it this is an opportunity to check out our own selves to see the things that we need to change as well in us but also as a community uh, this pandemic has changed already everything so we also need to change within to a make the possibility that they also the broad community broad broader community can also start this this collective change thank you nicole your final thoughts claire it's hard to follow that that was really mm-hmm. powerful um both akira and nicole um i think just echoing you know really looking at how do we continue to center you know those most impacted Um, and really from a lens of, you know, if we look at marriage equality, we're like, okay, now we're going to work towards trans rights and protections, you know, across the country. Um, and, you know, we still have, you know, states passing anti-trans legislation the day before TDOV in the middle of a pandemic. And so I think where I feel hopeful is like, we're still going to get out and vote, you know, even if that's a vote by mail ballot. (laughs) And I feel hopeful that, you know, our community is, you know, working on the shoulders of those that came before us and they never backed down. They didn't like get quiet or, you know, say, oh, we'll take the crumbs. But it was really like, okay, we are going to make sure this happens against all odds. And, um, you know, I think that that's really the strength that we're going to need as we move forward. Um, as, you know, a compassionate people, as a compassionate um, world, is that, you know, we don't settle or allow for, um, allow for um, those that don't have the same access um, to continue to allow that to happen. Um, And I think, you know, Jack and other allied organizations, you know, that, Um, are part of the broader LGBT community have really stepped up to support trans leadership and to support trans organizations. And that's really what we need um, moving forward is how do we lift up the voices um, and the work and the resources. Thank you. So Jack, final Mm -hmm. thoughts? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think COVID-19 has been such a unique um, phenomenon for a lot of reasons, and it's been really activating for so many people in our communities. So many people have stepped up and felt the need to be involved in a response. Um, And I think it's been activating in a way that's brought different parts of our community together in a way that hasn't happened for a lot of people before. Um, So we've had people stepping up to volunteer who, you know, are like high income gay men who work at tech companies in San Francisco that are making deliveries to an SRO. They've probably never even been in an SRO before. Um, And they're meeting folks, you know, folks are meeting other parts of our community that they haven't had the opportunity to meet before. And they're meeting in the context of 
an epidemic that's a crisis for everybody. You know, everybody has been impacted by this. And everybody, I think, to some extent is in the COVID boat and feels the impact of COVID on our lives. So my hope is that that sense of um, camaraderie and connection among the different parts of our communities persists beyond COVID-19 because, as Claire said, we need it. You know, we need our communities, every part of our communities to step up and support each other. Um, Because although COVID really shined a light on a lot of disparities, uh, those disparities existed before and they will persist. Um, and so my hope is that together as a community, we can continue to use the solidarity moving forward to work on those issues. Thank you. And last but not least, Remy, you have the final word on final thoughts. Thank you all for being here. I do want to make sure that we recognize and thank Horizons Foundation, San Francisco Foundation, and PRISM Foundation, formerly GAPA Foundation, for supporting us by granting us funds that we can directly give back to the community and individuals who can donate and who have donated on our GoFundMe page and the corporate sponsors that Jack touched on. I think it's important to bring that up because I see us being able to really start looking at nonprofit world in a more practical way. Ultimately, it comes down to being able to pay the bills, have a roof over your head, and be able to have food to eat. So, yes, we have struggled for many, many years and decades, but this really brings out that we have to somewhat operationalize how we survive when we are marginalized. Of course, we don't want to be marginalized. I think to Jack's point, the world is in grief, that everybody is going through that. So my sincere hope and what I have seen is that people in general are operating from a sense of gratefulness and empathy. And I'm definitely seeing that in the community where someone who cannot afford to live, like are homeless actually, and are finding a place to stay in a hotel, are actually Facebook posting saying, hey, I've got another bed in this room. Does anybody else want to come sleep? That is the level of passion and care that we will see in this world, especially in our LGBTQ community. Um, We need $90,000 more to support everybody's need And we had initially started with a vision of giving out at least $500 to everybody who reached out. At this time, you're having to cap to $200. So I do hope in the near future that we will get those $90,000. And, you know, the other thing I want to say is we need folks like Claire in city agencies to say, guess what? I'm at the table. I don't need somebody to talk about me. I need the funds. That 75000 that Claire secured really took us to the next level to be able to really say to the community, yes, we are here to support you. And then the aspect around that is resilience building, sustainability, but then truly holding allyship accountability, whether that's cis folks in the LGBTQ community, white folks, but towards black, brown, trans bodies, or whether it's the greater world towards the LGBTQ community, this is the time for folks to emerge and show allyship. 
and it's not necessarily on call, complimentary, but it's almost required to share the wealth you have. And finally, I'll say this, as an immigrant, a stranger from a different world and who just became an American, I believe in individualism. This country is based on that. And every individual has the right to live the way they want to with or without COVID. And it's each one of our responsibility to do that. And I sincerely hope that us being at home, loving ourselves and really having self-preservation to the next level, we are going to appreciate that individualism in another person and support in any way. And the first way you can do that is by donating to our GoFundMe, which will be posted. Remy, thank you so much. So let's come together and let's help raise the $90,000 plus, 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 plus on top of the $90,000. Go to Bay Area, LGBTQCOVIDRelief.com. I'll be sure to meet you there. Definitely want to be there for community. Thank you all for the work that you're doing and, uh, and not just that, but also for being here at the Commonwealth Club and sharing, you know, what you do. Thank you, Michelle, for having us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. And thank, thank you, Michelle, for joining us here on the Commonwealth Club. For all programming, head to commonwealthclub.org slash online. We'll see you next time.